Initiative. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Roll for Initiative podcast, RFI podcast, issue number 15. I am your host, DM Vincent, along with DM Jason and DM Nick. How are you guys doing this week? Uh, Jason, let's start off with you. How was your week in gaming? Oh, it's been a great week. Uh, it's the first week of summer, as far as I'm concerned, so that's all that really matters to me. I don't know what the calendar says, but it's 85 degrees here in New York, so... Loving it. Yeah, we're uh, pushing up to a close to the 90s here in the great Pennsylvania state of the freelancers. So we're sweating uh, here, too. Nick, how's it going over there? Good over here in the Buckeye State. It's warm, just like everybody else sounds like it. Definitely. So this week, I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what we're doing and a little bit about our website. We have some new writers on the website, some new articles. Jason's been handling and speaking with him. Um, I did notice that uh, Todd had written another article, or was it Matthew that wrote another article, Jason? Both, actually. We have oh. new articles from, from both authors. So you can go to the site, rfipodcast.com. We'd appreciate if you drop by and uh, actually just comment on the articles. Yeah, please do. I mean, that's what everybody who writes for the website uh, really needs the most is to hear what people like, what they don't like, you know, what you're looking for. Uh, just so you know, Todd Hughes' uh, section, which is uh, plus two to save, is a weekly uh, is a weekly special or a weekly column. So uh, you can go there every week for something new. Definitely. And uh, d20radio.com, you can join us in the forums there, ask a question, or uh, dragonsfoot.org, which we're on more often than normal because we like to just peruse those forums. But leave us a message there and tell us what you think. Go to the Facebook site, look us up. We're trying to get to 100 so we can get the URL. We're getting there. We're about 60-something at this point, I think, the last we looked, right? Yeah, it's real easy. Just stop by the Facebook site and click like. That's all you got to do. That's all we need. And you can give us a call, uh, 206-279-3272. That is 206-279-3272. Or you could uh, click the little button on the bottom there. It says uh, email. It was the Google voicemail, and it calls you instead. Yep. And makes it nice and easy. Yeah. And uh, either way, either option, whichever you want to do, both work out. If you want to leave us a bumper, we'd appreciate it so we can play at the top of the show. Something saying this is blah, 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 and I like to keep it old school with the RFI podcast. I think that'd be and if you, cool. if you want to say where you're calling from, too, that'd be great. Yeah. And, uh, Jason, you had some little, well, I shouldn't say little, you have a pretty decent announcement for us, don't you? Well, I'm really excited because after, uh, we're, what, what issue are we on right now? Is this 15, 14? I don't even know. We're, we're on 15. On 15, after uh, 15 issues, we uh, finally have something we've been working on for a while, which is our official Roll for Initiative uh, logo slash mascots yeah. are ready. Uh, there's going to actually be some T-shirts and stuff like that up within the next week. Um, I just want to ask everybody to go to the RFI podcast site, check it out. Um, I'm not going to say anything about it except that I'm really excited, and I hope everybody digs it because we now have our own – well, we've got our own characters. Definitely. Logo's awesome. <laughs> 
I also want to say, like you had pointed out, that the, the people in the, uh, the logo don't actually represent us. It's just a representation of the show. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise one of us is actually some sort of Gary Gygax type with yeah, glasses. So. I have to say, I, re- I thought that was really cool how it was added in there. That's a deliberate um, homage to uh, it's it, that can be that can be Gary or Dave or any of the graybeard fathers of gaming. I'd have to praise the artist, and uh, if the artist wants to be known, I'm sure the artist will speak up. Yes, we'll 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 give her credit on the site. So we, we'll look forward to that, and maybe we could um, idea, Jason. Like I said in an email to you, maybe we can when the T-shirts get printed, we can do a contest. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. We'll have to come up with something. If anybody uh, has any thoughts about what would make a good contest, or maybe we'll talk about it afterwards, we'll do something fun. Ah, and then we'll give away maybe a T-shirt to one of, one or two fans. I think that'd be a good idea to promote the uh, T-shirts. Love it. And if you go to our website as, as well, you can uh, check out, I'm putting up a poll on the website. Uh, right now I have what class do you enjoy playing the most. And it looks like we have a couple votes, because I only put it up just the other day. And it looks like uh, Fighter is in the lead by 36%. So so everybody go to the site and stack the poll so that Acrobat wins. Acro- Acrobat's not on there, Jason. Multiclassed Acrobat Bard. It's, it's not on there, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, buddy, it's not there. I just took the basic four. And I'll add more polls, and uh, we'll talk about that as the, each week and show goes on. Something to interact with you guys. And I thought it would be kind of cool, you know poll of the week and I believe that about it rfistaff at gmail.com if you want to write us a old fashioned email or if you want to mail us a letter in you could email to Jason at I'm not going to tell you <laughs> <laughs> you, you sitting to Jason going oh my god he's going to give me my address now oh I don't even know my email address so th- that's fine no. go ahead let me know what it is <laughs> it's Jason at Jason.com no don't send it hey. to Jason at Jason.com <laughs> I don't know who would get that. Yeah. You know, somebody should mail us a real letter. We'll, we'll put up a, a mailing address on the side or something. I want a real letter. Maybe we can get them one of those. Right, cool. We can have a, we have a physical address. I'm sure we can put it up if you'd like. We'll give it. We'll, we'll think about it. Okay. Yeah. So let us know. Everybody, write in, call in, fax in, telegraph, whatever you can do. Okay, and you can uh, just give us a holler. Okay, we're gonna head into uh, sage advice. Sage Advice. Okay, that'll lead us into Sage Advice. We have a voicemail and we have an actual letter here. And uh, Nick, you want to tackle that letter that uh, Chris B. wrote in for? Uh, is this the one that we're talking about, the uh, Rakshasta? Yes. Or Rakshasta? Don't even. I sent you an email with a pronunciation and everything, Nick. Come on. Rakshasa. It's <laughs> it's Rakshasa. Shasha. Rakshasa. Okay. There you go. Everybody together. Rakshasa. Rakshasa. Excellent. Alhinnamaha. Okay. Uh, anyway. What did Chris you B know, have to say? He said, I have a party about to take on a secret Rakshasta base. Now I'm There's wondering no tea if- anywhere in it. There's no tea. Shasta <laughs> is an awesome soda pop, but this isn't it. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I was wondering if it makes sense that all Rakshastas be slain by a single blessed crossbow bolt. Could higher hit dice creatures have a resistance, <laughs> or there will be a saving throw access, 
uh, etc. He wants to know if we have any ideas on this. Um, I, I, the only thing I could find on this, I, or at least I thought about, at least I tried to find, uh, I remembered there was an article about Rakshastas, Rakshaskas, whatever the hell they're called. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I remember there was one article in Dragon Magazine, but I, I just don't remember what issue it was. And I, I'm almost certain that it dealt with this thing about yes. the blessed crossbow bolt. Do you have something yes. on that, Jason? Luckily, I do happen to actually own that issue. So <laughs> uh, it's Dragon number 84. Mm. And uh, there's a great, actually, there's a whole article in here Scott Benny wrote. And uh, the article was called Never the Same Thing Twice. It was more than just about a single Rakshasa, but uh, a whole background on the mythology of the Rakshasa, where it comes from, what they are, and the fact that there's you know, more than just this one thing. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background first before we go directly to the answer, because I think that uh, that would be helpful. Certainly. The, the Rakshasa is it, it's a, a bit like a demon in, the, in, in Hinduism, and the uh, Rakshasas are a, a type of creature that are actually... Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what the word is I'm looking for. They're not, not created by, um, descended from one of the gods. And so in this particular article, he actually goes through and, and uh, lays out a lot of higher-level Rakshasas, Rakshasa knights, Rakshasa lords, um, and Ravana, the king of the Rakshasas, and all of the mythology behind that. And the more that I read through this and the more I realized that this is actually should be a very, very powerful creature, not the sort of thing that you should take lightly or expect to run into and necessarily defeat. And that's one of the reasons that they have so many uh, immunities to different types of things. As for the Blessed Bolt, it really seemed, uh, it seemed, I'm not going to say unbalanced, but it just seemed illogical that such an incredibly powerful creature could just be instantly killed by a single blessed bolt. So I had to think about that a little bit because I didn't want to, to contradict what the, what the gameplay rules say. Uh, so f- first of all, the easy answer, no. The, e- even going completely by the book, I would not let a single blessed bolt kill more than one Rakshasa. I mean, that, that I think is, is, is simple enough. You just If you're firing a, cl- a crossbow bolt uh, in order to kill a Rakshasa, there, it's going to kill one. And if it's not, they're just too big. They're the, they're these huge, you know, Bigfoot Yeti type of creatures that you're not going to fire a bolt through multiple ones. But to make it a little bit more gameplay uh, intense, I'd ask a couple of other questions. First of all, um, I'm not really sure what it actually means to bless a crossbow bolt. Because you're not talking about casting the first level cleric spell here. Do you guys have any um, opinions on what it really means to bless a crossbow bolt? I would think using. I would probably assume it was just using holy water. Blessing it with holy water, I would assume using a prayer of the god or the goddess. Yeah, for something that's going to be the only way to kill. Or not the only way to kill, but, but the way to instantly kill this incredibly powerful monster. I would want, as a DM, to come up with something that was a little bit more specialized than that. It should cost some money. It should take some work. You, and specifically, this isn't mentioned in the in the uh, 
official rules, but I'd consider actually making sure that it's blessed by a cleric of the appropriate uh, pantheon, that just any cleric blessing it probably shouldn't have the effect that's intended. Now, would you also think maybe it would be a uh, it wouldn't be a low level? It would be like a high priest or priestess cleric or type deal. Yeah, I'm thinking like a hierophant, like a what? A hierophant. Yeah, I, I, at least I don't know what what's the hit dice on a rakshasa. I don't I have don't... that handy. Well, I, I I guess what I'd do is I'd look for the hit dice to a rakshasa, and I would say that the cleric would have to be of a level equal to the hit dice of the rakshasa that you're trying to um, kill. Instantly, but I found one other thing in the article that I thought was a nice little loophole. Oh, okay. And uh, the uh, the little loophole that I found in here was about uh, Ravana and the king of king of the Rakshasas. And I just want to read this part. Okay. Um, Ravana, remembering the humiliation of his defeat by Rama, refuses to leave Acheron. Rakshasa lords are the workers of his policy on the prime material plane. The goals of Ravana and the lords are, first, to ensure that the Rakshasa race thrives on the prime material plane, continuing to grow in population and influence. Second, to gain power over humans and other dominant races. And third, for the lords, to pay continued homage to Ravana. The, to achieve this last goal, priests of Ravana kidnap and slay women, symbolic of Ravana's abduction of Sita. These kidnappings take place irregularly, but always on the night of a new moon, when rakshasas are at their most powerful. During that night, rakshasas take minus one per die of damage inflicted upon them, and the appropriately blessed crossbow bolt only inflicts triple damage instead of killing them. Hmm. Interesting. I think, yeah, I think it's really interesting because there's two very specific reasons. And that is uh, two specific things. One is the idea of the first night of a new moon being a special night for rakshasas, so you could have a little bit of a loophole there around the idea of killing them with a single bolt. And the other one is that phrase, appropriately blessed crossbow bolt. And I think the word appropriately is why I start thinking maybe you could say that it needs to be the right type of a cleric and the right level. Now, would you like turn this into a whole type of quest type deal, you think, maybe? I think, well, that yeah, that's the other thing. You know, as the DM, if you know that you're going to have rakshasas that the players are going to come up against, uh, you have to decide, do you want them to be able to have a weapon that can kill them in a single hit? If you don't want them to have that, then you need to be careful not to drop any hints around them that they're going to be facing this and not to do anything that would encourage them to bless their bolts. You shouldn't prevent them from doing it if for some reason they figure it out on their own, but you also shouldn't give them too many hints. Hmm. If you do want them to have it, on the other hand, you have to think about it, so could you craft a quest, could you have some rumors that they're there so that they know we should go do this beforehand, and then maybe you make that part of the adventure. Yeah, that's true. You can have a whole side adventure on this. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. So, um, I, this was a great question to get because it sounded so yeah. straightforward on the surface of it all, but it caused me to really have to go back and and look at this again, and so I really appreciate it. Does it go any further to say if the bolt has to be a special type of bolt, like uh, you know how some things have to be killed with silver or right. wooden, or does it say anything like no, that? No, no. Actually, this article itself is not so much about uh, specifically how you're going to fight a rakshasa, but more about 
Uh, well, as the subtitle for the article says, filling out facts and figures on the Rakshasa family. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really, like so many Dragon uh, articles were, it's more about giving you more flavor around the whole thing than about necessarily uh, clarifying any specifics. Okay. And then he uh, also went on to say that he streams images via his TV uh, using his Xbox 360 for, like, monsters and maps, other images during gameplay. I have to say that uh, I've done this a couple times with my uh, other games, with my mostly with my World of Darkness games, uh, because mm-hmm. that, that fits that more better, uh, more better. It fits it a lot better to do that, like, for <laughs> back... Yeah, I know, it's like a dope. Uh, for background music and images, because that type of game would call for that. I don't think I would do that for an AD&D first edition game because, I don't know, it doesn't seem right to me. What do you think, Jason? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't, and it just be, is because I don't want to encourage ADD. I mean, I want to encourage AD&D. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just think that the, I think everybody would be too distracted by things like that. But that's my players and my group, Yeah, and you know, I, I was actually going back and reading, uh, a really good article that was in, I think it was Dragon 75 when I was looking up some of the things that are in a, a later section of this issue. And uh, there was a great article about tips for the beginning Dungeon Master. Ooh, and nice. it had so and it said so much about just being sh- careful to, to let your players have their fun and to do it their way and to, to make a game that everybody's having a good time in, you know, within the idea of playing, the, you know, the actual rules. That if somebody says that that's how their players have the most fun, then I think it's a really cool way. It's a really inventive way to get the stuff up there. Yeah. Okay. Well, you um, know, we, we we've played with um with whiteboards on the wall before, where mm-hmm. I've used actually, you know, like because we used to play in in my office at, at work, and uh, you know, we've since we were in we were in a conference room, and there were whiteboards. We just decided to use that for the map, so we had all the stuff on the wall. So I mean, there's any number of different ways that you can get the stuff up there and I really like the idea of an Xbox using being used for good rather than evil so go for <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I use a PS3, so you know, I, I kind of grew up and got a PS3, so I the same thing. <laughs> if, if, I'm kidding, I'm I kidding. understand, you know, you don't have you don't have an Atari, he doesn't have an Intellivision. You guys make do with what you hey, can get. I had a ColecoVision, pal. Then you were basically the highest of the high. I was awesome. That's what I was. But anyway, did you have the? Did, but did you have the super baseball controller with eighty-five buttons? Yes, I did actually. Oh, you were so much cooler than me. Okay, I, I know. You know, well, you know. That's another time, different show. Uh, he also went on to say, "Thank you, Jason, for the creeping pit. I've never heard of that one before. It might be useful." Now, uh, speaking of the creeping pit, uh, and Jason, you had found this one. Or did I find this one? I don't remember exactly. That was just a long time ago. We did get an email from the author of The Creeping Pit. Remember oh, that? Oh, that's right, yeah. We had actually forgot to talk about it on the show. He emailed us in. He said he happened to uh, catch a... I guess when, Jason, you had posted up the uh, the show notes, it maybe mm-hmm. did one of those trackbacks to another site, and he happened to just see The Creeping Pit and went, oh, my God. Clicked on it, listened to it, and he said he hadn't heard about it in a long time. So, Oh, how much did we get wrong? He, he No, he said we did a good job. Oh, that's awesome! That's great. He did. Uh, I, I forwarded you the email. It was, uh, it was good. He told us. Uh, I'll explain to the listeners yeah. what he said. Um, he actually said he had sent it in to uh, the Dragon Magazine. I guess Roger Moore was doing the editing at the time, 
And uh, little, lo and behold, a couple weeks later, he received a check in the mail and uh, a little note saying his article was being published. So he, he was a 16-year-old god among kids. So. <laughs> <laughs> so he said all the people in his group looked at him like, oh, like that. You know, he was the ultimate word because he got published in Dungeons & Dragons. So Yeah. I, hey, I never got anything like that. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, and so uh, we actually do have a voicemail for tonight uh, that you had come on the Google voicemail, Jason, right? Yeah, this is somebody who uh, clicked the call me button. So good to see that people are using both of the ways. Let's uh, take a listen to that. Hey, guys, this is John from Atlanta. I just listened to issue number 10. It's the first podcast I've ever listened to. Totally enjoyed it. Loved the chemistry, the the flow of the show, the the different topics you addressed, and uh, the way you segmented it into chapters. Uh, I thought it was lovely. Um, so needless to say, I'm hooked. Uh, hooked on to you through iTunes. Uh, just wondering how I can access some of the earlier issues. Uh, Ten seemed to be the earliest one that I could access through iTunes, so uh, I guess that would be my question. But uh, apart from that, uh, I'm pretty happy with the first podcast that I've ever listened to. Good job, and I'll be uh, calling in again probably some other time. Good job. Well, <clears throat> thanks, John. That's great. Me. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, Jason, you want to tackle that question about uh, iTunes and the uh, other podcasts? Oh, yeah, yeah. So first of all, I'm really glad to hear that uh, people are finding the show in a lot of different ways, including the recommendations on iTunes. Yes. And uh, yes, John, you can get the older issues. You d you need to go to our website in order to get them uh, because the uh, our podcast host archives them after a certain period of time, meaning that they no longer appear on iTunes, but you can still download them. Yes. So if you go to rfipodcast.com, and uh, I'm hustling to do that myself right now to tell you exactly where they're located. Um, there's a direct link. Do you remember? Right there. Yeah, there's a direct link on the uh, right-hand side, uh, or you can push the little button that you, Jason, you had put up there. It said uh, Pro Tip, the one for the enhanced or the plain vanilla. It's right there in the top right. Okay, yep, there we go. And if you're having real trouble getting the episode, some people have some problems re with the, the RSS feeder, just click on the link where it says Troubles, click the show directly here to download. So yeah. either one of those so, links uh, works great. So, John, what you can do on the right-hand side is you can uh, go over there where it says Choose Your Poison. There's a section. There's all the different types of articles that are on the site, a lot of stuff. Uh, one of them is called Podcast Episodes, and you'll see when you do that all of the shows uh, except Oh, yeah, even one and two if you click older entries. Yep. Um, all of the shows are there. Yeah. So go ahead over to the website, do that. Actually, we want to also direct people to iTunes. Drop by, give us a review, give us five stars. The more reviews, the more five stars you get, the more exposure we get, and the more listeners we get. And the more comments, the more little fun voicemails we get. So we'd appreciate it if people would just take two minutes out of their time and say five stars, love the podcast, keep it up. You know. And uh, we actually had, uh, I want to point out one that was on here. I'm looking at it right now from Todd Hughes, our writer. He said he loves the podcast, but his only complaint is we only do one show a week. <laughs> Sorry, Todd. Yeah, it's going to stay that way, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be more than one issue a week because uh, that would be a little demanding on everybody's schedule. But, hey, what a great thing to say. 
yes, we appreciate all the comments, and uh, the more the merrier. Feature. Feature. And that'll bring us into our feature this week. We're doing a feature this week on money in uh, first edition. And, uh, Nick, did you have something written down about that you said before the show started? Yeah, I did. Um, I did a little research on this on money and AD&D, and we, I guess we had um, some questions on if it's different between later editions. Well, one, I wasn't aware there was any other later editions. Uh, <laughs> and two... <laughs> But anyway, there I I did some research around on this and looking at the earlier versions, like on on uh, basic D and D, just to kind of give some history and some contrast. One of the things I found out was an original in, in um, basic D and D, the uh, the electrum piece was called a combination of gold and silver. I'm like, well, I don't know where that came from. Yeah, but I thought that was interesting. Um, well, now a big important interesting fact about it is they went from going from the ten to one ratio to a five to one ratio in advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Which I'm yes, not, I'm that not, did happen. I'm not sure why they did that. It, yeah, that was like when you went on the second edition, there was no difference in the change. But when you went to third edition, they did two things: they eliminated the electrum piece. Yeah. And then they went on to the 10 to 1 ratio of 10 gold equals 1 platinum, and then going down from there. So, yeah, I wasn't. Jason, do you have any information on why they went to the 5 to 1 as opposed to the 10 to 1? Actually, um, oh, I'm so embarrassed because I, as a matter of fact, I actually do because I sat down and worked out a chart on this at one point and realized that it was a logical thing. It had more to do with uh, looking at things in terms of. Twentieths uh, and tens and 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 doubles of certain other things, and uh, now that you're calling me on the carpet about it, I wish that I'd actually <laughs> brought those notes with me. But the best I can say is that there actually is a logical uh, order to it when you lay them all out and you start looking at them more than just saying, you know, this is tenth of that, that's a tenth of that. Um, and I think that the reason that it feels a little bit more realistic when you play the uh, original money uh, version rather than you know maybe a later version where everything's just a tenth of something else is that that's kind of the way the real world works you don't you know the, the whole idea of a metric system approach where we're very uh, measured in each thing we do is a really really recent invention T- things tended to grow out much more organically you know you'd have the king's hand and the peasant's foot in the yard of a cow to hmm. measure something and money really grew up the same way with florins and 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 uh, everything else so I, I don't know what the exact ratio of you know why it's five or why it's two of this or something of the other but I do know that there was some logic behind that that's true and also kind of going on with that in the original uh, play in the player's handbook it also mentions that uh, when you want to do money exchanges, or um, it gives an example of at least three percent for a fee when you do those sorts of things. Right. So I don't even think later editions even take that into account as well. Yeah, I mean, and that's ridiculous because money changer is one of the prime uh, I, 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 employments of the, of the ancient of the ancient world. 
you know, money changers are everywhere. Yeah. Exactly. And that so, could also go along with when you're not only as a money changer, but also someone who's appraising gems and jewelry and things of like that. There's a certain fee involved. They don't just do it for free. Oh, no, of course not. And, and you know, the thing is, if you're traveling from distant lands, if you've gone adventuring over on another continent, you're going to come back maybe with money that's not recognizable to the locals. So you're going to have to have somebody who can actually appraise the value of the metal in that money. Hmm. If, yeah. You know, if I say to you that I've brought um, 500 gold pieces from the kingdom of Auric, and you know you're here in the you're here in the Flanes, you're here in wherever, and you say you know I'm I'm not familiar with that. I'm not just going to take your word that that's the same as one of our gold pieces. We're going to go down together to the money changer, and he's going to get his scales, and he's going to do his his weighings and everything else that he does to determine that that's the actual thing. Yeah, and he's not going to do it for true. free. Yeah, that's true, and that's something that was lost in the later editions, in the edition that shall not be named. Ha, I didn't do it this week, Nick. <laughs> and uh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, I don't hate the edition that shall not be named. This is just the first edition podcast, and that's the only reason I refer to it that way. Yeah. That's all. I don't hate anything else, like some people have commented on, but I wanted to address <laughs> that. Anyway. <laughs> so I, I, strange. <laughs> yeah. In my games, I've never, I, I don't know, I don't think I've gone that strict with, like you were saying, Jason, the money guy weighs the gold piece and the size well, of Well, I'm just saying you could describe that. You know, oh, I see. You're saying, saying, you know, okay. what happened, because when, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know enough about how, uh, you know, the, the chemical properties of something are determined the density, et cetera, but I know that if you're trying to figure out whether something is gold or lead, you know, you can do certain <laughs> things, such as figure out how much water it displaces. You know, yeah. They're, they're going to have all sorts of things that were available to people in the Middle Ages or whatever, you know, era in Earth history you consider to be equivalent to a fantasy world. All right. Yeah. But I, I, I think the thing that really comes down to, there was a sentence that... Uh, there was there was an author in, in Dragon Magazine wrote a sentence once that I thought was the best way to lay it out, and he's talking about you know how to decide when something is uh, appropriate in a game or not, and he said it's the combination of imagination and logic that makes a game a cut above the rest, and that one really hit it for me. It's use your imagination, but use your logic, and the the later editions of the games, I think they they. They took out the opportunity for some people to just go ahead and logic something through to say, you know, there's no, there's not a rule for that, but logically it would go like this. And money's one of those things. By having all the different types of pieces in there, electrum pieces and, you know, a gold piece is, is, can be a different thing, but it's got to weigh a certain amount to be worth a certain amount. Um, it's it's logical, and, and you can kind of make your own decisions based on that. True. Yeah. I mean, it gets into the other thing, which is how much does a gold piece weigh? Uh, Nick, did you get a chance to to kind of do any you know background research looking at some of the? Um, different- a little bit. I know on basic D and D, they compared. They basically they made it well basic. Uh, <laughs> all the yeah. all the uh, coinage was considered to be equivalent to about an American half dollar. Okay. Um, uh, also, I believe on page 35 of the DMG, the coinage is assumed to be roughly around the same size. Right. I mean, I know and, a gold piece in terms of encumbrance, you know, 10 gold pieces is a pound. 
Right. But that's but that's of course that's encumbrance. I mean, I think they're really kind of just using that in order to have a uh, a, 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 a measure to go by. But you know, the whole question comes up if you're trying to get a lot of treasure out of a dungeon or something. Uh, yeah, it's or, it, it's really um, uh, vague on that as far as like size and everything, as far as coinage. It says right here they assume that the size and weight of each coin is relatively equal to each other coin regardless of type. Okay, so, so it doesn't really matter if you're carrying 100 platinum pieces or gold pieces. They're going to weigh about the same, uh, be about the same. Yeah, that's what they're going by. That seems yeah. fair. And it also is a yeah, really good it, reason it for you to easier. want to collect, you know, it's a good reason for you to want to collect platinum pieces or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, or, or also, you know, to realize that if you're going into a town, if you're an adventurer who's you know got a large amount of wealth and you haven't bothered to build your keep or to settle it down or to find a trustworthy uh, banker that can keep it for you, so you're carrying as much as you can, and then you go into this town uh, and you've got your sack of platinum pieces because that's the most efficient way to carry it, and you suddenly discover that nobody really feels like making change for you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Or they don't really feel like giving you a fair deal when they do make change. <laughs> you know, if they can just say, well, you know, I'll, I'll be happy to sell you this, but when I give you the change for your platinum piece, you're going to find that it wasn't as good. Um, right. Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. You know, or just, or just juggle it up a little bit when uh, it comes to making the change for them. You know, because you go to you go to any uh, city, even today, and you go to a street vendor or something like that, and you want to count your change. Oh yeah, Absolutely. you know. <laughs> I I mean, just I remember when I was a kid, we went down to the fish market in Baltimore, and I'm you know five years old, and my grandfather gives me uh, some money to go buy something, uh, you know, on my own, and I'm all excited to do it. Now, this is my grandfather who spent his life in the Navy, you know. And uh, yeah. and I go over there to do it, and I come back with the change, and the guy had shortchanged me. You know, this guy at the fish market short shortchanged a five year old. I mean, long wow. and short of it is that my Navy, well, my Navy grandfather was over there with his hand against the guy's chin, and I thought he was going to pin him to the wall, and he got his change oh back. My God. <laughs> but I'm telling you that I mean, it happens now. It's certainly going to happen a lot uh, in a game world. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd say my group is a pain when it comes to money because um, I, when it comes to finding money, uh, there's always a lot of copper always laying around. <laughs> what do you mean? Like in my in most of my adventures, I, I like to put a lot of copper around because it pisses my group off for one. And yeah, I'm an evil DM as I've been quoted many times in many forums apparently. But I'll continue my evil streak by saying I put a lot of copper around. And luckily my group doesn't listen, so they won't hear this. But uh, <laughs> I put a lot of copper on it. And what they do is, like, the players will find copper and they'll just toss it to the side. It's like, dude, it's money. Keep it. Mm-hmm. And uh, after one adventure, finally, I was just like, you know, if you would have kept the money that you had from the last two adventures, you probably would have had about the 100 platinum that you needed. <laughs> I purposely put that much in copper around so they to see if they would take it. Wow. And they and they just left it lying behind. Yeah, they would. He simply would just be like, "I'm like, oh, you find ten copper?" He'd be like, mm, "I just leave it there." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay." I mean, yeah, that happened in my game too, yeah. where, and I think that gets up to where, you know, the characters get such a high level, they're just like, they're not even caring about what they consider the small coinage. They just like leave the copper pieces behind them and bring them up. I'm like, 
you uh, got to look at the perspective of maybe that, you know, that, that peasant that you were going to have help you out, you know, maybe move your your stuff up to the end. A couple of copper priests to a peasant kind of you know, means quite a bit to them. Hey, so, they, what they say, every billionaire, every good billionaire picks up every penny that he finds, and that's how he becomes a billionaire. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, you know, the, the thing is, in the game, you really, I, I don't think players should ever get to the point that money is so easy to them uh, that that they would be even able to pass that up. Because when you're at, let's say you've got a high level character in a, in a in a dungeon, you know, so you're in there with some tenth, eleventh level characters, etc., and uh, they're going to have hirelings. They're going to have hangers-on that are coming with them even at that moment. So first of all, there's some people that are going to be very willing to pick up the the uh, copper pieces. But beyond those, they have – the higher level you get, the more responsibilities you have, the more that your money uh, needs to be used for the upkeep of your base back home. Um, if you are a spellcaster of any type, you really have to pay for a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think really you know, one answer to that also is make sure that as your players start to gather more money that you start coming up with more reasons to take it away from them. Hmm. There's an there's article I'll point people to. I should, really should start actually putting these in the show notes. I'll, I'll be less lazy. How about that? Um, because this one is in Dragon Magazine number uh, 74, I think. 74. And, uh, yep, Dragon Magazine number 74. It's called, uh, let's see if I have it here, a, oh, who wrote this thing? A player character and his money should be parted. <laughs> uh, Louis Pulsifer wrote it, and you know, he kind of goes into you know, a, a lot of in-depth stuff around, around money in the game and talks about just different ways as a DM that you should be looking to uh, take it away, whether it's you know, upkeep, uh, henchmen, the stronghold, the religion, they've got taxes, they've got you know, probably animals that are with them. They could just be robbed. Hmm. Um, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you guys about on the money uh, in the game. Money. I was trying to look for something before the show, and I couldn't find it. But at Gen Con last year, there was a vendor there, and I'd heard about them beforehand. They sell uh, game p- – or basically – fake money for you to use in the game. Tokens that you can keep. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they're really, really nicely made. They're actually metal. Oh. Have you guys seen these things? No, actually, I have not. I... Nick? You know, I think I saw something like that at Origins. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a British company. I don't know I if it's the same. Yeah, I... But I might be thinking of a different company because I think I saw one that was doing something similar to that. But I, I think they were plastic. I, I think these might guys have might the have one. both. They might have both because, you know, obviously the plastic ones are going to be more affordable. And that was kind of the thing is that I was looking at these on the table and they were so beautifully made. I mean, you want to start your own country just so you could issue this stuff as currency. You know, it was <laughs> I mean, these coins were like, I was like, you know, these are great. This is not like go to Coney Island and get some, you know, token for the for the ski. Um, but the trouble was, you know, they were pricey. And to have enough to really make it worthwhile, you'd, you, you'd be one of those people that was buying the, uh, the geek chic gaming tables for $8,000. And, you know, maybe these yeah. kind of things. I'm not them. But it did get me thinking, and I've never tried this in a game, uh, but it got me thinking about whether it would make more sense to use chits or, you know, even poker chips or, 
you know, does it would it turn it into too much of a game game? Would it make it feel too much like you're playing a board game or playing cards? Or would it make it actually feel more real to players to have to carry their money in a bag, you know, to the game like they carry their dice? That's hmm. that's interesting. I don't know. I don't think players maybe they wouldn't want to do that. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd sure. love to know if anybody hey, you know, in go. our audience. That's a good idea for the poll. I think a poll. I think those would be good for like if you were doing like a LARP kind of thing. But well, okay, you know, if you go, they they have that thing called True Dungeon that they do at all yeah. the different conventions, and it's it's really it's not a LARP because I've done it. So <laughs> that's kind of the definition of a LARP is if I've done it, it's not a LARP. <laughs> but okay. It's not. <laughs> Didn't someone it's yell not, at us yell at us about LARPing somewhere? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean I'm not gonna come down on it because honestly, I actually have uh <sighs> one friend who LARPs and I've never, you know, gone with her, I've never seen it, but I know she has a good time and I think if you're doing something that you're having a good time with, then you know, that's pretty cool. But uh, we don't but we're not talking about it here. But anyways, the point is True Dungeon is not a LARP, it's more like uh you know, it's just kind of like going to a haunted house more than anything. But you oh. get those. Yeah, it does. Well, I don't, I don't know what's worse, Jason, walking outside in your equipment to go play a LARP for Dungeons & Dragons or walking outside your house with a Star Trek uniform to go play a Star Trek LARP. You know what? Honestly, I think those guys are cool, too. There's just way too much of people that are afraid to just get up off their couch and do something that is ridiculously fun, and they don't care if they look ridiculous. I, I just like anybody who's willing to... Get out there and do something different. So like bless the, them all. You like the oddities, huh? I, I just like, yeah, I just like people that are you know. This is um, you know we won't talk about it on on this show, but you know I I actually run a magazine that's called Permission, and it's about something totally different. It's not about gaming, uh, but the whole point of the name of the magazine when I started it way back when was that I don't I think way too many people wait to find out if it's okay to do something. Is it cool? Is it acceptable? Do I have permission to do it? And I say you don't need to. Just honestly go out and have a good time, and who cares what anybody thinks? Right. Um, but but getting back to the to the um, true dungeon or whatever, so they have those tokens you know that people collect and they keep, and it you know it, I can definitely see a little bit of a larping feel to it. But when you're sitting around a table, I think you're pretty safe from feeling like you're doing that. The main thing that I was thinking about with using uh, some type of a chit or a token or a chip is that when you're writing down your money, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're writing down your money on your uh, character sheet it becomes more abstract and it's just like in the real world the difference between pulling out cash and using your credit card it kind of changes your attitude towards it yeah so that's why i'm no, wondering. That's true. yeah I'd, I'd just like to see we we haven't tried it but i'd like to hear if anybody has yeah cool. give us give us an email on that or uh leave us a voicemail even better i would like to hear your voice and what you think about that so uh RFI staff at gmail.com, 206-279-3272, or go to rfipodcast.com and click on the Google voicemail. And uh, send Jason your voicemail, and we will listen to it and play it on the show. So we appreciate everything that everybody sent in. And that's going to move us on to our next segment. Do you have any idea what you're talking about? Why do I sound like I do? Playing tips. And this segment tonight, uh, as we were talking before the show, Jason, and I were running this by each other, we were going to call it playing tips like we normally do, but what we decide this week to call it from now on? Uh, table manners. 
Why yeah, do you table think, manners. Yeah, why do you think table manners might work better for this? Because you said so. Because <laughs> I said so. Because I really I don't know. Uh, no. I just think table because manners might... DM. <laughs> yeah, I'm the evil DM. Yeah, that's right, Jason. You are, uh, from last show, you're considered NPC Jason, so... Right, I'm NPC Jason. <laughs> you are no longer DM Jason. You are NPC Jason. You need to change your uh, your blogging name on the site too. So, <laughs> all right. But anyway, we think uh, table manners might work a little bit better because you know, playing tips. Eh, that's just everybody uses playing tips, but table manners. I think that's a little more original to the podcast. What do you guys? Yeah, think? I like it. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll hear like it. feedback on it, but I like it so far. So this week we're going to talk about Appendix P in DMG. I think a lot of people overlook that. And uh, reason- I had never read it before. Never. I had really? never actually sat down and read it before. But I don't, you know, look you, at me. You never, you never looked at that, huh? I, I, I had skimmed past it and I went, oh yeah, it's interesting, but I never sat down and actually read through it. Uh, Nick, you want to give us some background on you know, what this is first? Yeah, sure. Appendix P is... Uh, creating a party on the spur of the moment. So, and basically what it says here, there are times, often if you attend many conventions, that you will have a group of players designed to adventure with you in a campaign that have no suitable characters with which to do. So, basically, this is an aid for a player and a DM to create a character on the fly, depending on the, the class and level and uh, Jason, stop and it, it covers the whole gamut of things. Um, I have used this before. I've yeah, long, long, yeah. long, long time ago. I use it quite well, a bit when I have players that come into the game, like right in the middle, and I don't really feel like stopping the flow of things or somebody dies. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I what I've always done, like I've got a, uh, a a number of different books that contain a lot of NPCs. One of my favorites is the Judges Guild, uh, Fantastic Personalities. And uh-huh. uh, so I hadn't really gone through it this way, but I, I like this a lot. And what I was thinking might be kind of cool, if you guys are up for it, is if we did just follow the rules in here and quickly put together a party on the fly the way that it says. Go for it. Yeah, that's okay. what I was doing. I got my dice right here. Okay, so I tell you what. I have got some names for them because I've got fantastic personalities, so we, can, we won't have to uh, hem and haw about that. You can just uh, give me a page number and I'll give you a name. Uh, Nick, do you okay. want to walk us through, and we'll just go go ahead and uh, give it a shot? Yeah, first thing you do is you roll your ability scores. Um, okay. I guess we can we can maybe forego that unless you want to go ahead and just... No, I think that's good. Let's actually go ahead okay. and do it, because this is one of the things I really liked about this appendix, is it says just do the 46 and discard. So um, yep. if you guys want, why don't we just... Uh, Really quickly run around and uh, roll them up and say what we've got on a couple of these, All and right. we can roll the rest of them silently. Let me grab some. i got 46 right here. Okay, so I've just rolled them up here, and I've got myself an 11, and I've got myself... Oh, geez, I've got, I'm rolling a lot of ones. By the way, I'm using the precision dice right now, which are the you know ones that are guaranteed to be actually random. And that always oh. always bites me. Oh, they're terrible. They really are random. Oh. I've got so many ones, I don't even know what to do. i got an 11, i got a 7, i got a 15. Now, see, this is old school gaming, because when a 15 comes up and you're excited about it, yeah. let me tell you what. Yeah. All right, i got a 10. Oh, this poor guy. Um, <laughs> i got myself a 5, 9, a 13. 
oh, come on. Get, but you know what? We were rolling uh, some characters like this the other day. Oh, it was for Cthulhu. And I ended up rolling a natural 18, you know, nice. really rolling 3d6. Oh, I got to tell you, it's the most exciting thing ever. And then finally, I have got a 10. So, all right, so I've, I've got my ability scores here. I've got an 11, 7, 15, 10, 13, and a 10. Well, I've rolled mine while you, rolled, while you rolled yours, Jason. You probably didn't hear mine because of my compressor mic. Uh, I have mine. Do you want me to list them out? Sure. Uh, 11, 13, 8, 10, 11, and 16. 11, 13, 8, 10, 11, and 16? Yeah. Whoa, you okay. are the power master. Okay. <laughs> I got lucky. All right, here's mine. 13, 12, 12, 10, 17, 12. Wow. Whoa. Now, you know what? Already, I got to tell you, these sound like real characters. These sound like proper characters. I'm already kind of into this. All right, so we've got our character um, uh, attributes, and now... I know we uh, need to pick the classes and assign them appropriately, right? Yes. Yeah, what you do next is you pick a racing class, then you uh, uh, alignment. Then it depends on what level you are. You know, uh, I would say for sake of argument, let's say they're fifth-level characters. All that right. sounds good. Let's actually do that. Let's do fifth-level. Okay, so we got some fifth-level characters, and uh, I've got a couple of good ability scores here. I'm thinking that I'm going to uh, try creating a thief. Okay. And I'm going to make okay. a halfling. I'm going to make a halfling thief out of this. All right. So, what are you guys going to do? Let's see. With my scores, hmm, I'm thinking a magic user might work with the 16 high there. Maybe yeah. yeah. Okay. That's, that's, does that sound? I'll good be to the you? fighter. <laughs> yeah, I think with your high scores, you might want to be the fighter there, or maybe maybe a yep. cleric, a battle cleric, or something. Um, yeah, that's like look at us with no I, cleric. <laughs> sounds like my bad group. Idea, yeah. Sounds like my group. No cleric. Yeah, I'll make a cleric. Uh, so I'll okay. dump thirteen in the strength, and his wisdom will be his wisdom will be seventeen. Okay, so I'm going to give my thief a 15 dexterity. Now, in this appendix, does it? The, the one thing I noticed is it said uh, to assign the um, attributes appropriately. I don't really know if it said anything about um, moving your points around. How do you guys feel about things like that? Um, you no, know, it says arrange the scores as they like. So yeah, but that's kind of my question. I know what you're. I know what you're talking about Jason. How you do subtract one from how many points is equal here, and that—that's what you mean, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm always a little bit leery of it because you know there's there's a certain point at which you don't want to let somebody you know get a bunch of 18s and trade them for a three. Well, the oh. uh, the great Joe DM used to do yes. take one point off of one stat. Oh, wait, how did he do it again? Two points equal one point is how he did it. That's how the yeah, great okay. Joe did. Two points off of one stat equals one point on any stat you want. Okay. That's how the great Joe did it. Well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to just take him as rolled. I'm going to give him, he's a thief, you know, so the dexterity is going to be a 15. Uh, thieves really need intelligence as well, and 13 is still above average, so I'll give him that. Uh, I'm going to make constitution his weakest. Uh, charisma is going to be kind of high for my guy. It'll be an 11 because 
I want him to be the kind of thief that's a little bit more. Uh, he's not, he's not just skulking in the shadows. I want him to be the kind of thief that walks up to you and smiles while he's picking your pocket. <laughs> um, and then you know the, and then the other two tens can go over there. Okay. I got for mine is I put thirteen in the strength because at least for a cleric, he's got to be at least pretty uh, pretty good at swinging a mace or a morning star. Average intelligence of twelve, wisdom seventeen. Uh, dex is his lowest stat of 10, so average dex, constitution or charisma of 12. Great. All right, let's get these guys some names uh, as we're going through here. Do you guys want to just give me a page number, and I'll tell you what the name is for you on there? We've got page 42. numbers from... Uh, oh, you lucky... You know <laughs> the meaning you. of life? <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Right. Yes. All right, you have uh, Warwick Shrop. So Warwick Shrop. Yeah, I don't know what Shrop is, but uh, he's uh, his name is Warwick Shrop. Maybe you want maybe Shropshire sounds better. Warwick Shropshire. Oh, Warwick okay. Shrop. All right. Um, Got it, Vince. Uh, give me a I'm, page number. My, my stats are real quick. Strength eight. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I, I, I'll list some how I did. I did Dex eleven, Con thirteen, because I want to give him a little more hit points. Strength of eight. Wisdom of 10, charisma of 11, so he can at least negotiate some of things he needs to buy. <laughs> and his intelligence with a high 16. And we'll go with page 67. 67. Yes, sir. Um, this only goes up to page 62. Then I will take page 62. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I looked at it real quick. Which page? 62. Oh. Rada Brock. Rada? Rada Brock. My name Brock. Rada Brock. Yes. And uh, mine is cool. Howluck the Wanderer. Howluck the Wanderer? Howluck. Oh, H-O-W-L-U-C-K. Howluck the Wanderer. So we have Warwick, Roddock, and Howluck the Wanderer. All right. Uh, what's next? Um, let's see. Where we determine level, uh, alignment. The only thing you need to worry about there is the appropriate class if there's an alignment restriction, of course. Okay, uh, so standard equipment. Just let's actually talk about that for a minute because if you are a DM at a convention and you need to whip up a party quickly, you want to make sure the alignments are compatible. So we're probably going to go so, with good, more than likely. Okay, so um, as a thief, my uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Alignment. <laughs> my alignment uh, options are a bit limited, aren't they? So uh, you can be neutral. I could be neutral, but can I be neutral good? I don't see why neutral good would be a problem for a thief. You know what? I'm going to stay true neutral because we're not putting any lawful good clerics or paladins or anything in here. So I'll just leave them as true neutral. Okay. I will go with uh, I'll go with chaotic good. Nice. Okay. And yeah, I think I'll go with chaotic good as well. Okay, I, that's a very uh, compatible. Um, bunch of alignments for a party. Okay. Yeah. All right. So All right we- now uh, we've got we've got level five, and this is the point where it says that if the uh, party's assumed to have been adventuring for some time, there's a probable chance uh, that they might have gotten some magic items. So how do we want to take care of that? That okay. This is how this works. What happens is like for example, the magic user. Uh, it's, gonna, it's based off of a 
the chart here, protective items table, for example. Yep. And for the magic user, you have a 15% chance <laughs> per level of getting a ring of protection. So 15 times 5, that's the percentage chance of getting so a ring 75. of protection. So yeah, right, you roll so... a percentage on that. And I rolled a 72. Oh, close. So, so you do have a ring of protection. Yeah, I, I rolled also. A, uh, oh, go ahead. And I, I guess we would just roll and see what uh, plus it is. Yes. Uh, yes. Out of the DMG here, and yes. also there's ring a of protection. Be, so yeah, the metric is there's a ring of protection, and there's a four percent chance per level cumulative of getting bracers. So twenty percent chance, and I rolled a hundred percent. <laughs> wow. So no bracers. <laughs> no bracers. But uh, roll a percentile dice and let's see how your ring, how good your ring of protection is. Who's, who's playing the magic user? Me. Okay, go ahead and roll it. See what okay. ring you get. I got so far. Okay, so I got under it because I rolled a 10. Mm-hmm. Now the type of ring of protection. What was the percentage? Yeah, just roll a, per- roll a percentile. Okay. I've got the table here. It looks like I oh, got, got okay, good. a twenty-seven. Uh, that is a plus one okay. for your ring of protection. I got a plus one. Okay. What's next? Now I'll try for the bracers. Bracers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now you got a four percent chance. chance. Yep. I rolled five percent. <sighs> That's perfect. Oh, you got it. oh, I got, you got it. it. Okay, You're okay. great. Yeah, yes. you had a twenty percent so. chance to get it, so you've got bracers of armor class six. Whoa, bracers AC six. Nice start off. Excellent. All right, now let's with, get the yeah, so you got an AC five actually. Now with the cleric, uh, I get a ten percent. Okay, you have a fifty percent on a shield. Fifty percent on a shield. Got a thirty-eight. All right, so you've got, got a basic a shield. shield. Uh, All right. And, you know, let's make this go fast. Let's just give that shield a magic of uh, roll a d4 to see how what the plus is on that thing. And I'm not going to... I'd say it shouldn't go over three. Okay. So how about this? Roll a d6 and take two. it in half. Okay, we'll great. Shield plus two. Okay. Um, oh, you know what? Uh, now, the next thing is armor. There's three... There's uh, four different types of armor that's available. You have to decide before you roll... Which one you want to go for? Plate, banded, chain, or leather? Right. Uh... <laughs> well, I, I, I kind of think in the interest of time that we don't have to go through each and every one of these little steps here. Well, it's okay. We only got a couple things left to do, and then we'll have them. All right. Just just Nick's got to uh, decide fast. I'll say banded, le- I'll say banded mail. All right, so 24 bucks. Yep, go. I didn't get it. No banded mail. Okay. All right, so then uh, final thing, you got a 10% chance to get a ring of protection. Let's see if you have it. 05. 05. Okay, roll a percentile dice. 37. 37, and that means that you have got a plus one ring of protection. And then finally, let's give the thief his things. We've got two things the thief can roll for. Uh, leather armor and a ring of protection. 50% chance to get the leather armor. So I'll grab the dice. And 22, he's got leather He's got leather armor. And I'll roll a d6 to give it a plus. 
I roll the six, which I'll make it a plus three. And then finally, a ring of protection, four times five, 20% chance to get one of those, and a 32, so no ring of protection. So there you go. We've now rolled up a party that's all fifth level. We've got stats, we've got names, we've got magic yep. items. Uh, we could go yep. forward through this, and there's a we place could go for them further to if we wanted things. to. But like, uh, scrolls, like magic weapons, and such. Yeah, I yeah, think. but like like Vince says, we don't necessarily want to go through all of those. But I think what we're seeing is pretty cool. Is that uh, in just a few minutes we've got the first basis of a party here. It would probably be about another ten minutes to get the rest of it rolled up, and you would have um, three guys ready to go with a certain amount of weapons, potions, magic items that are pretty appropriate uh, to their levels. And if you've just got any kind of a book of names that's sitting with you. Uh, actually, the Judges Guild, now that I think about it, the names aren't always the best in there. There's a bazillion places you can find lists, and I think we've talked about it before. So um, Baby name so sites and things like that are perfect to find yeah. names. You can so, yeah. so I'm a convert. You know what? I'm converted to Appendix P, and I think it makes a lot of sense to have this with you uh, if yeah. you're going to be at a tournament. This is um, a pretty... Oh, yeah. Sorry, Nick. Oh, well, I was going to say this. This is. I was just confirming what you said. I've I've used this once before in a con many years ago, and it's great. Also, if you want to get into a pickup game, yeah, you know, at a con, definitely. If you're walking into the game for the first time and you want to jump right in real quick, use this chart. This is. I was going to say this is a perfect example of a, a Gygaxian chart that he loved to make. Yep, and I think that's going to wrap up that for this week, and we're going to head into uh, our wonderful creature feature theater this week. So, for the Creature Feature Theater this week, we're going to tackle two things in one, mostly the same, demons and devils. Yeah, this is one of my favorite ones. I'm glad we're covering this. This could be very interesting. Uh, we'll just make a couple notes that uh, they did get a D&D and TSR did get a lot of flack for uh, Demons and Devils and their whole kids committing suicide things like that back in the late was it, late 70s, early 80s. Late but 70s, yeah. Had nothing to do with the game. It just had to do with the instability of the children at the time. So, Well, yeah, and, and anybody who's listening, I would say uh, check out Michael Stackpole. He's an author who's mm-hmm. active right now who's written some really uh, insightful things looking back at that particular time of... Uh, I'll just call it some hysteria around it because it was the same time in the 80s that you had, uh, I think Ozzy Osbourne went on trial at one point because yeah. somebody had been found to be listening to one of his records. And there was a, the best part about the whole thing was what Bloom County did. The comic strip Bloom County uh, was doing a, a bit on it at the time because, you know, so many kids were going around and uh, just um, – I, no, it wasn't Bloom County. Well, anyway, somebody had, ba- had had done something about they, they they were going to try and commit suicide to a Prince record, it's just because they were really sick of listening to Prince and they wanted to get him off. But the the point is that, you know, unfortunately, pe- you know, kids have been getting in trouble and and yeah. worse for as long as people have been around. And unfortunately, there was a time in the '80s when some things like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and heavy metal music and stuff like that happened to be. Uh, new to a lot of people, so when they found that moment that something happened, they 
made the mistake of under, thinking that correlation implied causality. You know, we've seen yeah. it, we've seen it since in other things. Um, I'm not going to you know be a yeah. downer and talk about all the other stuff, but you know, if some kids listening to Marilyn Manson now, or if they were playing D and D then, it's got nothing to do with anything else. Um, I, but I do want to nonetheless. I do want to note when they when they did change over uh, editions later on in second edition, they did rename the uh, the demons and devils uh, to uh, Nick. You were pronouncing that for me before. Yeah, they they changed the names to uh, Biatsu yeah, and Tanari. They, they tried to get rid of the negative publicity that was uh, evolved with the game. So when they came to this section, they renamed it to appease all the people that were throwing threats at them at the time. I don't think Gary really wanted to do it, or Dave wanted to really do it, but they just decided, what the heck, let's do it. You know, yeah. and it's kind of funny, because on the other flip side of that, we talk sometimes about how things got changed in later editions, and I have a tendency to always talk about the magic user, even when I'm playing in my, my fourth edition game, because it's just yeah. convenient to me, it's comfortable. I'm used to saying magic user instead of wizard, but the whole right. reason that they were called the magic user was because of that same thing. There was pressure not to say wizard. Yeah. You know, so magic user was actually sort of about that. But let's go to the demons. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's have yeah. some fun because it's you now it's a game. There's demons in this game, so let's 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 have them. Well, I I think first of all, when using demons and devils in your game, there's a lot of fluff that goes around with it. I know you hate that term, Jason, fluff most of the time. But I think there's a lot of fluff that goes with it, and a lot of role play to go with demons more than actually sitting there and stabbing and fighting demons. And well, I, now, hang on. You're getting the stabbing and fighting the demons, jumping ahead to the point that the demon actually showed up in the first place. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I, what, so, uh, I mean, go, go ahead, though. What's the fluff? So what I was talking about when I was talking about fluff was um, how you role play the demons and how you would actually have the magic user or the cleric summon them up. But uh, like I was saying before, there's a perfect book that I had picked up that wasn't available back in the days of playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, but it is available now, and it is by Paizo, and I don't care, you all can yell at me, but <laughs> it is called The Princes of Darkness. It is the Book of the Damned, Volume 1. It has a hierarchy pretty much of hell in here. It has all the symbols of all the demons. It, has, it gives you different ways to role-play the demons. It gives you different ways how to uh, make contracts with mortals, and... Um, all the good stuff that demons need to have and how they interact with mortals. I think it's well, a good book to pick up. What's yeah, that? now, I, I'm going to just violently disagree with what you said about fluff, though. Because uh, <laughs> I think that sounds really cool. The Paizo book, I would definitely check it out. Uh, but I was reading a an article that goes back to the, before they... You know, when there was a, a, a D&D, but it was before they had gotten some of the publicity stuff. And there's an article called Demonology Made Easy or how to deal with orcas for fun and profit. And it's back in Dragon number 20. And oh, wow. uh, it, Yeah, it goes into some of the things that you're talking about, Vince. Um, and okay. I think it's really great because he's actually, he's put a couple of tables in here, which is why I paid attention to it. <laughs> but but uh, beyond having some good tables in here that talk about, you know, the, you know which demon or et cetera you're going to be rolling up, uh, it really goes into... What it takes to summon a demon, to control the demon, what happens if you don't control the demon properly, uh, or the same thing for the devil, who can do it, who can't, uh, etc. And when I was reading through this, I realized this is not fluff at all. This, in fact, is a great hook for how to bring a demon into your game in the first place. 
Well, yeah, uh, that's what this book it, does too. It gives you good reasons to bring a demon in. So, and what to do when they get there? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yes, role-playing uh, absolutely to it because you're going to have some differences whether you've got Beelzebub or Asmodeus that's showing up. But um, Asmodeus. I, I, sorry, what's the right pronunciation? Asmodeus. Asmodeus, all right. Um, fair enough. Hey, I get you for it. you got to get me for it. That's true. Um, but, the you know, I was starting to look at this because because uh, Rakshasas are – Technically, <laughs> some type of a demon or a devil, right? And throwing the question that name out co- on us. Sorry, I said throwing that name out on us, huh? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, they're they're described as demons, but they're lawful evil. So I guess, sort of, in an AD and D world, they would be devils because it's the devils that are lawful evil and the demons that are chaotic evil. Uh, but really, right. it's okay because demon is more of the kind of Hindu description of them in, in a game purpose. They're they're a devil, but you know, you call them what you want. But in here, uh, I think what's really interesting is the question is, how are you going to call one of these up? And either a lawful character, I mean, sorry, either a, a good character or an evil character could call a demon up, but it's different in the way that they have to go about it. Because in the sense of calling a demon up in order to control them and to get them to do one thing for you, that's one thing. But trying to actually get a demon that is going to be available to you whenever you want them is a very different matter. And doing something like that is going to be a very evil act because it requires some kind of sacrifice and it has to be a sacrifice of a living creature. Right. So right. no good character is going to be doing that. Um, right. Even even if you're talking about uh, a very lower level, like a pit fiend type of a thing, they're still going to require something. But by the time you get to a higher level type six demon, they're really not going to be happy with anything other than a human sacrifice. And absolutely, princes and archdevils, same thing. Nothing less than that. So, right. so what, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, moving on to how would you use them in your game? What is an example of you used in your game, Jason? Well, the way that you would do this is think of the demon. I mean, there's two, there's, there's two ways that a demon's going to appear. Either it's going to be something that you're encountering in your adventure, or something that you're trying to actually call up as a player intentionally. Uh, more likely, it's going to be something you encounter unless you have a uh, party of characters, a player character, sorry, of player characters who are evil. Yeah. In which case, uh, it could be actually. This is one of the places where playing an evil character suddenly starts to sound interesting. Hmm. Um, but you're not going to encounter a demon in most cases that's just wandering around on its own. Demons and devils cannot come to the prime material plane of their own free will and volition. If they could, they'd be here all the time because their goal is to acquire as many souls as they can for their infernal armies that are fighting out their eternal battles on whichever of the nine hells that they're on. Well, I'll give you an example. I used it in my campaign recently. And uh, I used Leviathan. Mm-hmm. The water, the demon of, of what is it, water, pretty water much. Water yeah. Yeah. So what I had was I had my characters, they were walking through actually a rocky mountainous area, and there was a waterfall. And they, you know, my as my players are always curious, they overlook at everything. So when they went through the waterfall, they actually found a hidden room behind the waterfall. When they went inside the room, they explored around. They actually had found a old, an elderly man that was just sitting there on the rock. So they started questioning him, and they found out that he was trapped in there, and he couldn't leave. 
he needed mm-hmm. to find he needed to find the key to get out of the room and it was a it was a soul stone which he needed to possess to leave that area and that allowed him to freely roam so i sent my car- my players on a quest to find the soul stone for an evil demon and they had no clue who he even was and the I convinced them that he was an elderly gentleman that was trapped in by in there by an evil wizard, magic user. Excuse mm-hmm. me. So that's what I did with with Leviathan. Just a quick example. Wait, you had that actually be Leviathan? That was his mortal avatar. Oh, okay. Interesting. Now, I I probably wouldn't go that far because I I would look at the very upper echelons of the demons and devils as never actually appearing in their own more, in their own uh, corporeal form on any other plane. Well, he was it's just trick- too. It's was just too dangerous. He was tricking them because he was trapped in there and they didn't realize it. So oh, that's what I mean. Okay. I mean, how did he get trapped there in the first place? Well, by an evil wizard, magic. I keep saying wizard. Thanks, Jason. You know, ever since you said that. <laughs> An evil magic user uh, trapped mm-hmm. him in there. So, right at this, yeah, it'd I, actually, be a, a good magic user at this point. But yeah, no, no, I think it'd still be an evil magic user. I mean, even to get him up there, I, that's kind of where I was going with this: is that the the rituals that are required in order to bring up a devil or a demon are incredibly uh, difficult. Well, and uh, yeah, and you know what? Uh, kind of going along with that, Jason, when you're talking about rituals. Mm-hmm. To summon these to these these uh, beings is there's I think an overlooked aspect when dealing with these creatures in the game, and it's right in the deities and demigods. If you look under mm-hmm. the non-human uh, deity section of of deities and demigods, there's a section there on demons and devils, and for purposes within the game, they are considered lesser gods. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think I think a lot of DMs uh, forget that little thing, which could be a really cool aspect to a game world where you have these demonic and these demonic cults that are running around. They need to perform ritual sacrifices, what have you, and those would be really cool game hooks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the thing is that when you have your uh, your demigods and your gods, they don't show up as you know monsters for you to encounter so to speak they're really controlling right. other things and the demons and the devils at the lower levels yeah they could be brought up you know summoning a pit fiend to the to the material plane is pretty possible but summoning uh you know a higher level uh prince is a little bit different yes yeah, summoning one of the princes of hell is a whole other different story in fact well, those yeah. those beings would work through their minions or their cults themselves right and and that's the thing is that there's uh once once you have a demon that has been summoned uh that demon isn't going to perform for the summoner just because they showed up they're going to require some sort of payment in advance and if it's a if it's a very low level demon you know they all they might want is a little bit of blood or something but uh, let's say, for example, that you have a fairly powerful evil magic user who has control of a demon, you know, who has managed to control a, uh, I don't know, a type 2 demon or so. Uh, and that magic user is in a fight and he's, he's losing and he wants the demon to appear and to fight on his behalf. 
if he calls him forth, he has to make sure that he has the kind of thing that that demon wants. So let's say that right. – let, let's make it a really, really low-level demon so that all the demon really asks when he first shows up is a white rat. He says, you know, whenever I show up, you have to give me a white rat. I'm going to devour its soul. I'm going to drink its blood, and then I'll do something for you. Well, if that magic user forgot to have the white rat with him at that moment, he can summon the demon forth. And then if the demon appears and finds out that he doesn't have what he wants, he's going to take something. Oh, and yeah. oh, you're yeah. not, he's not going to be able to say, well, you can have one of these guys I'm fighting, because that would be payment before the fact. He could... I guess in desperation, if he had a henchman there, you know, reach for his henchman and throw the henchman to the demon and say, here, feed on his soul. But mm. uh, if he doesn't have anything at all, that demon's going to appear and say, you don't have a sacrifice for me, you'll do nicely. Yeah, well, yeah, you could do unless, uh, yeah, if he doesn't have the proper protections around him, absolutely. No, no, no. In this case, he wouldn't even need to have the protections because um, – so there's there's two sides to it. And uh, this is something I think – you know, this article that I'm drawing from here is not something from the core rule books. It's actually written by somebody who would uh, – you know, had an interest in kind of the old legends and lore around those kind of things, wrote the article for Dragon Magazine, and the editor said, this fits really well into the game world. Let's use it. Um, so nothing I'm saying here is actually – you know, canon rules or anything like that, but it's really helpful uh, mm. when you're trying to think how to deal with it. Well, I know what Nick is saying with the protection and the circle and the symbols. I know what he's saying. Right, continue. and that's the first step. That's so. What what this is saying is that the first time you're going to call up a demon, uh, you do all those types of protections and circles. But if you put one into your service, then it's a different story because then it's just a matter of knowing their true name yeah. and being able to call on it. And so I, uh, I think we were talking about true names in the last up in the last issue, right? Did we? Uh, well, yeah, we we touched on it a, a little bit with Jeff Grubb. He, yes. he mentioned. You're right. Yeah, he said once once you mention true names once, all of a sudden it becomes a thing. Uh, so l- let me actually step back. I'm going to run through just really briefly what it takes to summon up a demon, and uh, maybe that'll, that'll give some clue to it. So. To summon up a demon, you're going. Hello. Okay, so to summon up a demon, first of all, you're going to need to have their true name, and so that you don't have to get too much. I mean, you, this is where some fluff could come in. Yes, you know, if you wanted to get into the role play side of things, but from a game mechanics perspective. The real issue is the research that's required. So in order to, uh, to find the name of a, of a demon or a devil, the magic user or cleric or whoever is trying to do the research is going to have to do that. And I won't go into all the charts of you know, how many weeks it takes to do a certain thing, but it's very similar to researching a spell. Um, and the thing is, first, you're going to roll to see what kind of a name that they came up with. And there's no control over this. They're going to be go- looking through old books, you know, you know, libraries, whatever. They come up with a name. Hopefully, it's one that's useful to them. Uh, but you know, maybe it's not. You know, and, and that's the breaks. Is exactly what this author says. Once they actually get to the point of getting uh, the true name of one of these infernal creatures that they want to raise, then they have to do another research, and that is to actually. Um, 
figure out how to do the ritual itself. So there's there's a number of different things that can be rolled for you know how difficult it is for what level etc. And once you get through all of that, then there's a question of having assistants that can help you because uh, they need to perform part of the ritual. And also when it appears, if anything goes wrong, you want as many people with you to fight as possible because if that demon isn't properly controlled, it's going to be brought into your realm. There's a chance it might want to negotiate and talk about doing some service, but it's far more likely that it's just going to say, yay, free souls, devour, and leave. Um, so there's all of these things that come into calling one up in the first place, and it's very similar to spell research, and it's the kind of thing that's most likely going to be done by an evil uh, magic user. Uh, and then once you once you have it going, uh, then there's a whole lot of things about you know how you control one, how you can bring bring a demon into the gameplay. But that's kind of where it gets exciting for me is the idea of going up against uh, not so much because I don't I don't. Ever, I've never played a game where the PCs were playing evil characters, but going up against uh, going up against an NPC who is doing that, and thinking about the ways that it's going to affect them and how they're going to try to control these demons, etc. I mean, if you're if, if you're deciding to do it as a player. Uh, you know, there's all the issues of you're going to be forfeiting your soul. You can only do it one time, etc. Um, but it adds a whole new dimension to me for for the game. I don't think I've ever used yeah. the true name method. I've let people do research based upon what they know. I like doing player mm-hmm. knowledge to add to this. I know you're not supposed to do player knowledge, but what do you mean? Oh, you know how there's a difference between character knowledge and player knowledge. Mm-hmm. If a character, if a player knows something from a myth and a lore about a certain demon and they want to summon it in game, I let them roll with it. It's good role play. If they if they if they heard about something or some saw something on a TV show that was really cool how a demon was summoned, I let them do it in game. Yeah. And if it's really interesting, then maybe it'll happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Um, I, I think if you have some rules that are set around what it takes to do so, uh, you know, if a player comes in and says, "I was watching Sherlock Holmes and I really liked the way that this happened," okay, let's let's see if we can work it into the game. Like here's a perfect example we were playing uh, recently with, with the whole Leviathan thing. They didn't know about it, who's a demon, but anyway, they wanted to get in contact with demon in the game because they needed some advice on something. We won't get into that. That'll be a long other topic. But they wanted a low level demon, so I said, "Well, what do you guys know?" There's a low level demon, crossroads demon. I don't know if you've ever heard of a crossroads demon in mythology and lore, have you guys? I'm assuming we're talking about you know blues music from the south. Yes. Okay. Now, just mm-hmm. quickly for everybody listening, a crossroads demon would be when you go into the middle of two roads and intersect, that'd be a crossroads. You would dig up the ground in the middle of a crossroads and you would put something personal inside of a box with a sacrifice and a piece of the person or something personal in the box and you would put it in the ground and you would wait at midnight for a demon to show up to bargain with. Now, they ha- when they come out, they are free to roam around the general area, so you have to be wary but that's what they did to get the information they needed, and they had to bargain out of it. So that's what they did. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to give that quick example of a low. Well, level. that's a good. There's a. That's the most fun thing for the DM because oh, yeah. when the players want to start bargaining with the demon or the devil, uh, that's where you get to get in and do the wordplay. Do even better than when they're doing it with a genie for a wish, oh, yeah. because the 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 demon or the devil is going to be really really out to give them the absolute least 
that they can for the most that they can draw out of the player. Yeah. There's a good example here of um, going to a very high level, and you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation again. Was it Asmodeus? Asmodeus. Asmodeus. Oh, like Deus. I get it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. How did I not ever know that? Um, (laughs) Okay, so... This part, I'm just going to read from the article. In making a pact with Asmodeus, the Archfiend may offer 20 years of service. Now, yeah. 20 years of service from Asmodeus, that's pretty amazing, right? I mean, getting 20 years of service from this Archfiend. But it would be in return for a promise that the operator worship him, build a place of worship consecrated to him, dedicate half of all his treasure to him, raise an army and stamp out good religions in a given area, and perform sundry other little jobs. Plus, of course, the operator must forfeit his soul at the end of the contract. Hmm. Of course. Now, that's yeah. a deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, or, or, or you, the other thing it says, it points out, is perhaps it could be for a period of time where you say, I will, you know, my character will forfeit his soul for 100,000 years to this devil so that another devil could make a deal later. Uh, the only thing that he kind of points out is that if you're – the demons and devils won't make deals with anyone who's made a deal with the other. So if, if a character has made a deal with a devil, a demon later won't go along with it. Um, and if a character has for whatever reason been refused a deal, let's say that Asmodeus has come along and said – for whatever reason, I'm not going to make a deal. I'm not going to take his soul. Well, there no lower devil would ever uh, do it because it would be incurring the displeasure of someone higher up in the in the chain of command, and they're never going to do that. Of course, yeah, that's yeah. You're absolutely right. <laughs> that would be bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you know you can probably make small deals with the small demons and devils, big deals with the big ones, but yeah. Most of the time, I think the best thing to do is to keep your characters from going there because just kind of point out to them that you're risking your alignment and a lot of other things. But well, you know, the other one is kind of how do you keep your players even caring if they go, oh, you know, give up his soul, whatever, it's my player character, I don't really care. I guess you could do some things like say, like point out, for example, you can never be resurrected, um, raise dead isn't going to work on you. You might even find some other in-game uh, uh, penalties. There's another. There's a, your soul uh, I would. I, I would a, make it also to where the person who's trying to make the deal, people associate with them. Bad things are going to happen to them as well. Yeah, you can also do the whole. Well, when the demon comes calling for you, give me your character. Yeah, that's always a threat. Their, them. Yeah, that's always a threat in their life. Um, you know, another good thing that happened in in the game I'm playing in was all of our characters ended up having to make a bit of a pact and so part of the real world implications or the game world implications were that we were all cursed so the curse had certain things such as whenever we did damage that was uh, more than whenever we did damage to a monster that was more than half of our own hit points the curse would be invoked or if you roll the natural 20 a critical hit your curse would be invoked. So you'd be excited that you'd hit something, but then suddenly the curse hit, and any number of things could happen. You could fall asleep on the spot. You could be yeah. blinded for a couple of rounds. You could be really inventive with that, which, of course, Gabe was, and that was good. Okay, so to wrap this section up, because we're going an hour and a half here at recording time, uh, guys, uh, yes or no answer, Lucifer. Is he on your list? Yes or no, Jason? No. 
Nick. Yes. I'd have to agree with Nick saying, yes, he is part of the demon hierarchy. Uh, just because he is the Satan adversary doesn't mean he can't be on the list. But that's You know why I say it? Why? Because I have the dragon article with his stats. <laughs> okay, that, that works. Uh, Jason, what's your reason yeah, for the no? Uh, just a little blurb on that. There was an oh. article called The Politics of Hell by some guy named Alexander Von Thorne back in... August oh, of yeah. I, I remember that, yeah. I have that one. Falco and Best of Dragon, Volume 2. He's got the stats for Satan in there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, Jason, no, give me an I, idea. I his movement, his movement yeah. is infinite. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with including uh, uh, any of the pantheons of you know religions that exist right now. I, I'm not... You're going there because then I wouldn't have a, have the the, the rakshasas in there or anything else. Right. But I just sure. think that some of the things like you know using Lucifer, it's just way, there's just way too widely open to interpretation. I could just see the players uh, trying to argue about too many things with it and having too many preconceived notions mm-hmm. that it's just easier for me to leave it out. Okay, valid. Um, va- yeah, that'll work. Yeah, valid reason. No arguments. We all had our opinion. And that is going to wrap up the Demons and Devils. You can look it up in the uh, Monster Manual, the Fiend Folio, or the Deities and Demigods, wherever else you want to find it, and the Dragon Magazine articles that Nick quoted. We're going yep, to... I have a few more of those as well. Well, we... Yeah, or, or if you can get a hold of the original Eldritch Wizardry supplement to the uh, uh, White Box D&D, that's got some good stuff in it. Yes, it definitely does. And that'll move us into our next uh, feature for tonight. The Dragon's Horde. Now we have the Dragon's Horde. Uh, Nick, actually, you had suggested this one a while back, so I'll let you run with yeah, this one. Th- yeah, this is a cool item. I thought another one of those... Um, you know, mess with your player kind of magic <laughs> items to helm of opposite alignment. And that's on page 146 of the Dungeon Master's Guide. And what it does is it, once you um, put it on, it looks like a metal hat, but it has some inner indeterminate dwomer upon it, uh-huh. if you can detect magic on it. Uh, once placed upon the, the head, the curse immediately activates and the alignment of the character who's wearing it is immediately altered to something that's either completely opposite or as close to opposite as you can get. Uh, then right. the helm loses its magic, and the only thing that can remove this is either a wish or an alter reality. And it, from what I've read on it, it sounds like that the person whose alignment is changed, they're not going to do the wish or alter reality. They are fully into their opposite alignment. Right. So, I mean, in a sense, this this is uh, a lot like the uh, girdle of gender changing because yeah. it's one yeah, of those things that happens. Yeah. The moment you put it on, boom, it happens. It loses its magic afterwards. You're done. There's nothing you can do about right. it. Yeah, it's a, it's more or less a DM fun. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, a lawful good character would become chaotic evil, uh, and if you're going to play it, uh, a, a, a true neutral character could go and become lawful good or chaotic evil. But something as far away from true neutral as possible. 
Well, oh, yeah. Would you guys maybe, like, roll it, you think, to do the possible roll chance? Or you just think just... For a true new, from a true neutral to yeah. something else? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would roll it. Yeah, I'd roll it because it's just fun to roll it. Yeah. And plus, I wouldn't want to be responsible as the DM for uh, deciding that one. I'd like to let the dice take that one. Yeah, that's probably a good call that way. And no one can say, well, you did that on purpose. Well, I rolled that. But, I mean, I kind of see ent- introducing this magic item into a campaign is very different from the girdle because the the girdle of femininity, masculinity, it doesn't knock your player out of the game. It, it changes it up, and it's it's funny, but this is going to knock a lot of players out of the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you're talking about paladins, for example. Yeah. Yeah, if you're talking absolutely. about paladin or any any class that is really has well, part of its makeup, there is some sort of alignment restriction. It's going to mess it up. Yeah. Okay. Ranger, cavalier. Yep. Or or yep. think of it this way. I mean, uh, and I'm I'm kind of thinking out loud now because I, I I came into this discussion with the idea that I would never put this in the game. But let's say that a true neutral thief picks this up puts it on, and you roll, and they're now lawful good. You know, if you'd rolled chaotic evil, then they could have kept on being a thief. But as lawful good, they're going to be unable to be a thief anymore. So I would say that, though. I think they could still be a thief, just not the... (laughs) I think they become something, some other type of thief. They'd lead a very boring... More of a troubleshooter and less of a, a, you know... Uh, um, money-hungry kind of guy, you know. Sure, I mean, that, that, that's that's possible. But but let's let's just let, let me uh, try this out on you and tell me what you mm-hmm. might do. All right. Uh, let's say that 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 you've got a that you're playing that the thieves are not lawful good, so that as a lawful good that he's or you know he's not going to be a thief anymore. So would that be? Would you have the character? There, sorry. Would you have the player? Um, and the character remember their whole life as a thief and say, I've just had this conversion and I'm suddenly lawful good and now I've got to think about these kind of things? Or would you have it just be a more sudden kind of, you're not a thief anymore and you can't imagine why you ever liked that and you don't even really feel a connection to your old life? Are you going to let the player figure out how to roleplay that? Are you going to impose anything on their roleplaying of this character now? Hmm. I I think I would let the player role play that a little. I would let them know that there has been alignment change, and mm-hmm. then based upon their knowledge of their class and of how their character is, I would let them role play that and see how they can best work within those parameters if they can. Well, here's the tough thing. So if you've got a group of players... Normally, none of them has put this magic item on ever. And you've got a paladin who starts acting out of line with his alignment. You can say you're no longer lawful good. You're no longer a paladin. The players have the free will to act however they want. And you can simply say, I don't think that you're chaotic neutral anymore. You're now something else. But if they've put on the helm of alignment, well, couldn't they just start acting good again? No. So, because it specifically says that you're going to require a wish or alter reality to do so. So that right. gets kind of tricky for me. Yeah, I guess you have to yeah, constantly, it is a little bit tricky. You have to constantly remind them, no, you're not that anymore. 
and you never yeah. can be that. Yeah. And, and in yeah. a way, it kind of sets up, like, especially when you're talking about the paladin, if he ever gets this thing, you know, dropped on his noggin, um, that might, <laughs> you know, I think it even says it in the rules that this also sets up a question, uh, a situation for not only that player character, but probably the whole party who's going to get yeah. involved with that sort of thing. Well, so that's a good one, because I, I was reading it and thinking about the paladin who does want to stay a paladin, even though he's now chaotic evil, that somehow, as this chaotic evil character, he becomes convinced in whatever way that he should try to be lawful good again. The The tough part for me is, I think I would want the wish to happen first, so he was lawful good again, but he's no longer a paladin, and now he has to do the quest, because now he'd want to do it. I don't really like the right. way it was written in the book where it actually says that he would have to go on the quest just to get his alignment back. Hmm. That yeah, seems because, off. Yeah, because it's kinda it kinda contradicts, I think, with the actual item because how I read it, it sounds like the person who's switched to the different alignment, they're convinced that, that new alignment is is best awesome. for them. They're not yeah, yeah they're not exactly doing the wish or the alter reality. So it, it it's upon the rest of the party to change that person's character back to their original alignment. Yeah, and that could be a good quest. And in that case, I think I'm okay with the, the magic item. But the thing that worries me the most is that whole idea of taking away free will from the player. And that's why I think this kind of knocks a player out of the game, no matter what yeah. alignment they were before, no matter what class, because you're doing something that takes the free will away. Yeah, I, I agree. You have to be very careful with this magic item. It can, it could really kick off players <laughs> if if yeah. not yeah if you're not uh, giving them at least some sort of i i guess control i think the way if i was going to use this in a game um i i could see putting it in there and if one of the npcs because a lot of players they use their henchmen as food tasters so to speak <laughs> you know they'll be yeah. like here why don't you try this magic item and see what it does um, yeah. So if one of the henchmen were to put it on and suddenly become, say, chaotic evil, perhaps they recognize what happened and they're very duplicitous now and they go, hmm, nothing happened. I feel the same. Oh, now you've got yeah. chaotic evil. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now you got a mole. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a mole. Yeah, that's good. That's a good concept. But, but having a but if if one of the player characters puts it on, I think as the DM, I would have to take their character away from them and say essentially you're now uh, you're no longer in control of this of this player. So um, you can roll up a new player and character. oh sorry you can roll up a new character. <laughs> you're taking their soul <laughs> now. Roll up a new player. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> Jason takes that your character how- and your soul at the same time. That is how Dixie appeared in the Phil and Dixie comics, remember? That's how she first appeared. She was rolled up. Oh, um, yeah. But it's true, though. Uh, but, but, uh, but, but you know, then if the, if the players want to go on a quest and try to get the paladin back, then if they're successful at it, then I would actually hand the, play, the character back over and say, you can decide, do you want your new character to become an NPC? Do you want to hand it over to somebody who's new joining the game or whatever? Uh, but I think I would probably take the player's... Uh, the character's sheet away at that point. Yeah. Okay. Tell us how you do it in your game, or if I staff at gmail.com, and that'll bring us into our last segment of the night. 
Close your eyes and tell me what you see. The library. So, the library, our last segment of the night, is going to be <laughs> something that goes hand-in-hand hand with the Creature Feature Theater, pretty much, along the same lines that we were talking uh, about, is a chick track. Remember, from the early 80s, Jack T. Chick had made up this little pamphlet that he handed out to all, I would say, kids. Everyone. And yeah, pretty much. And, yeah. did you, Jason, you were saying earlier... You used to find them in uh, uh, payphone booths. Yeah. It was a, a it's yeah. called Dark Dungeon. So I'm sure every D&D player has heard of it. That's played D- any early edition of Dungeons and Dragons. I don't think the newer edition players have heard anything about this because I think it's been kind of buried. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's part of the whole lore of the role playing culture now, though. It seems yeah. like so. Real quick, it's basically Jack. Chick's version of Dungeons and Dragons, what he thinks would happen in a normal game, and it ha- it's like comic book panels, and it's, it follows Debbie, a new girl who's into Dungeons and Dragons. She goes over to a friend's house to play, and one of the characters happens to die in the group, and they go through the trials and tri- uh, tribulations of that, and you find out that actually playing D and D leads into a witch's coven, <laughs> and they have a big picture of a pentagram, and they're sacrificing, and they're inviting the girl into it. And it goes on to tell you more about how the girl is brainwashed by the game and convinces her parents to buy her $200 worth of new D&D figures. Wow. And manuals. Yeah. <laughs> One point I want to laugh that at... That never happened when I was a kid. Yeah, right? One point I want to laugh at, the, the, the structure... The, I shouldn't say the structure, the scale that he drew at. You see those figures in the picture? What? They're huge. They're huge. What are they, G.I. Joe figures from the 80s he's playing with? Could be. <laughs> they must have been. I don't know. They, or those... Or those really lame uh, D and D action figures that they had for the comic for the show. That's the right. Show. But and then, I, I, everybody around that table was in pretty good shape, and there wasn't a bag of Doritos to be seen. Yeah, what, where's the the Mountain Dew of their day? Yeah, the Mountain Dew of their day. No Mountain Dew. Well, actually, so doesn't know what's going on. These kids are drinking something. Which kind of leads into the second part of this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Before we go to the MS, blah, 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 blah. I can't even say the letters. Street Fighter Theater 3000, someone did uh, a spoof. Fanfic. I love the Dungeon. MS fanfic. Yeah, it's... Uh, I love it. Mystery Science 3... Oh, wow, now you got me. See, it's hard, right? Mystery Science Theater MST 3K. Yeah, MST 3K for short. Uh, a show that was on for two and a half decades, and what they did was they made fun of movies... While uh, you guys, everyone has probably seen a clip from it. Three guys sitting, or it's two robots and a guy sitting in the silhouette and, and making fun of Are movies. Are you kidding? I'm a Misty from Laverack. Oh please! I was, yeah, I was I was on the mailing list. <laughs> Me too. Oh yeah, I was part of the info club. <laughs> oh god, yeah, a yeah, great show. Uh, they had two hosts. Well, anyway, someone did a uh, an MST3K version of the Chick Track. I'm sure it pissed off Jack Trick Jack Chick. Quite a bit, but it's funny. You can find. We'll put a link up for it if you want to just take a look at it in case you've never seen it. It does really spoof on it really well. It's pretty funny. Anyway, the point yeah, was. Well, so yeah, so the chick tract. Back, back to, to the that. chick tract itself. You want to finish up the plot on it because yes, she hangs herself. Yeah. So the girl, so one of the girls in the group, her character dies, which I think is kind of funny because it, the DM just says. Uh, the thief, Blackleaf, did not find the poison trap there, and I declare her dead. 
what, what happened? Like the MST3K thing says, what happened to the role? The character just dies. <laughs> like no chance. Like a thief gets a chance to find something. I mean, just I declare her dead. No saving throw. No hit I point. You dead. Yeah. So the girl. I so the girl goes nuts, pretty much, and go, and there's more panels about the girl crying over it, and her character, no. And then the girl, Debbie, winds up getting a phone call and going over her house, and she finds out that the girl hung herself over her character, which is a pretty cool... She has a pretty cool dragon on her bed, if you look. I'd love to get that dragon. And uh, she finds a note that says, it, it was my fault Black, Blackleaf died, I can't face life alone in Marcy. So she's pretty much just saying that the game leads to this... And then the girl goes through some crying of her own. Wah, wah, wah. She confronts the DM. The DM pretty much slaps her. And then Debbie is sitting in, looks like a forest. And some, I don't want, it looks like an Elvis type guy comes up to her. And then uh, uh, spreads the word of God to her. And, and pretty much converts her back to the good. Actually, that was one of my other favorite parts about it. You know, I, I, I used to collect these chick tracks. And... Uh, because they're just they're great, right? <laughs> and one thing you notice that guy with the guy with the mustache that does a lot of preaching at the end of it, he seems to show up a lot. Is that Jack? And I love yeah, the fact that that's who. Yeah, the wise the man, wise. right? Well, no, it's not Jack Chick because nobody knows what Jack Chick actually looks like, which is one of the other kind of yeah. cool things about it. He's totally reclusive. He's still around. Is he? Um, but oh yeah, yeah, he's still around. He's uh, I think he's about. He's only in his seventies. He's not even that old. Um, but the uh, there's always this guy at the end, and I like that in this particular chick track. They say, "Oh, you know, he was somebody that was, you know, he had a, had had been in into the occult and the witch's coven. Yet he's always this really square dude with the mustache and the <laughs> and the and the suit, and he looks like he stepped straight out of like a later seventies version of Dragnet." Yes. Yeah, you're like, are you sure you came from somewhere cool, man? Because you really don't look like you did. Yeah, so basically he sets her free, and then they burn all the D and D stuff. Oh, that's one of the, my favorite parts. Is the burn the evil checkerboard. A lot of burning. Yeah, burn so, the checkerboard. Yeah. Burn the books. Burn, burn the, the records. Check- burn the board. I mean, yeah, so they basically take yeah, the I mean the Nazi philosophy of just burn it to get rid of it. So whatever, take it how well, you, you know, want. That's to- the funny thing with the. The the chick tracks they do, Jack Chick is really out there. I yeah. mean, as far as these things go, he's been no. he's been uh, he I mean, even like the the, the the Christian book publishers associations won't have anything to do with him because he tends to attack other. He he's really anti-Catholic. He attacks the Catholics a lot. Yeah. Um, he just he just attacks everybody, you know. But you gotta give an equal opportunity. Yeah. But you got to give this guy credit for being a brilliant marketer. I mean, everybody knows what these things are. Oh, and yeah. these the, the idea that he had, I think that's one of my favorite things. That he had this idea that you're going to take these little, uh, very cheap to print. You know, they're printed on like the cheapest paper you can get, and they're so small that they you know cost almost nothing. And he's going to get his word out with comics. Yeah. And that was—I mean, you got—you know—you got to really be impressed with that. It's something that now, only now, people are starting to come around to the idea that the best way to reach people with, you know, maybe a serious topic is to do it that way. I was going to say I used to love these as a kid, reading them because it always tackled all the cool stuff. Like, I remember one of them was when, um, what was it? Uh, a kid 
what got was made fun of at school, and he kept going home every night crying, and then every night he started praying in front of a candle because some dude told him to, and a demon showed up to help him, and he became like a popular kid, and all the girls loved him and everything, and then he found out later on that the demon screwed him and had his soul, so he went to the, the same dude with the mustache, who happens to be everywhere, apparently. In the yeah, end. the dude with the mustache, he's helpful. So the dude with the mustache, he's just like, he's everywhere, he just shows up, he's like an awesome, cool dude, and he pretty much saved the little, the kid from the demon, and like he did in this thing, so, it's a cool thing, if you've never heard of it, just go take a look at it, and, uh, just give a peruse at it, read both the MST3K and the, and the Chick Track, the Dark Dungeons, we'll post the picture and the link up on our website. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap up the show. Uh, Nick had to actually drop out of the uh, the conversation because due to some family reasons. He was also had some technical difficulties, as you heard, from he was on the phone instead of Skype. So we're actually talking about demons and devils, and Jack Trick have uh, actually plagued our podcast tonight, right, Jason? Yeah, definitely. This is this is our gremlin show. Yeah, I, I don't know what to say about it. But uh, we're running at about two, almost two hours, about ten minutes shy of it, so... I'm going to sign us off for tonight uh, saying join us on Facebook. Uh, we'll have our own URL real soon, staff at gmail.com. Leave us a bumper. Leave us a voicemail. Do whatever you need to do. We want to hear from you. Give us a five-star review. And this is DM Vince signing off for MPC Jason saying keep it original, keep it old school, and good night, everybody. Roll for initiative.